If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And now for an explosive interview. Stay tuned. Welcome to an Explorement Interview Podcast. I am your host, Rob. And joining me tonight is Drexy. Welcome back, Drexy. Hey, is this a dream? Am I really here? Am I awake? I don't know. I think we woke you up by calling you. So are you awake? I I think so. (laughs) Good, good. Because we have a special guest tonight. It's Steve, the lead developer of Alliance of the Sacred Sons. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. It's been a long time since we've spoken to you, too. I mean, I was thinking about it, and I actually meant to go back and listen to the episode, but I don't even think you had a publisher back then, and now I feel like you've had a publisher for some time. So I know a lot has changed, and I really want to talk about like how development's changed for you since you've picked up Hooded Horse and really kind of where the game's going. So before we start, tell me about how things are have been for you. I mean, like personally, like the last couple of years, I know it's been COVID, and and you picked up a publisher. Like, how are things, Steve? Uh, things are really good, actually. Everybody's vaccinated and healthy. And I don't know, since we last talked, I, I had another son. So I have two kids now. Congratulations. Uh, the growing, the growing uh, programming brood, hopefully. But yeah, no, no. Other than that, things are pretty much the same. Uh, home-wise, still live in Houston. No major issues family-wise, personal-wise. Just uh, working hard to put out a hell of a 4X RPG. Fantastic. That's what I want to hear. So... Let's talk about Hooded Horse. how that happened? Well, it's kind of a funny story. So we actually had a previous publisher that was kind of keeping us on the down low, kind of wanted to see how development was going. And to make kind of a long story short, the game was going to need more runway, more development time than they anticipated. So basically, we became a free agent once again. And so we I put together a Kickstarter in order to kind of raise enough funds to finish the game and put out an early access version about halfway through the early access. Now, and, and keep in mind, we actually heard from several publishers during this time. Their line was basically, hey, this looks really cool. If your Kickstarter fails, then uh, come look us up. Was basically the gist of it. So, right. so about halfway through, Tim from Hooded Horse contacted us and said, hey, this looks really cool. You know, I think we should talk. I think maybe we can help you. I said, okay, I'll, I will talk to you. So I did talk to Tim. And the thing that differentiated Tim from the other publishers was, we want to work with you now. We don't want to wait until your Kickstarter fails or succeeds. Um, we, we want to start working with you basically as soon as we can. And I said, that sounds great. So we negotiated and we came to some good terms. And Better uh, Horse has been our publisher for the last 14 months. That's great to hear. I mean, I've, you know, it's, it's funny because I think the conversation was just recently about how kind of Tim and Hooded Horse came out of nowhere, really. And like all of a sudden it was like, okay, there's this there's this new strategy game publisher and they're they're picking up all these good games that we all like. 
Yeah. And when they nabbed you, I was really glad to see that because I feel like, A, I got to know Tim and I got to, to understand his strategy and, you know, strategy with strategies. And it started to, it made sense. You know, it sounds like he's a really smart guy and he was looking at the kind of games I enjoy. So when he picked you up, I was like, yep, solid. So I'm, I'm really, I was really happy for you. I was really happy for Tim. So I'm really glad to see that. Yeah. It's been a great working relationship. And, and Tim is a genius. I mean, he, he's a very analytical person. He's really good at marketing, really good at kind of sensing gaming trends. He's actually put, I know there's some podcasts out there where he talks about the gaming business and marketing and such. And some of the terminology he uses way over my head. I'd say this is a, is a game developer. So uh, yeah, the real smart guy, real nice guy. The thing I really like about Hooded Horse and the fact they signed this, of course, was that uh, we basically retain virtually complete creative control. They said early on, you know, hey, we're not going to get in your way. We might have some suggestions, but, you know, you're going to be able to make the game your way. And, and they've actually been honored to that. I mean, we we work with Hooded Horse. You know, we have periodic quality meetings to kind of go over the game state. You know, they have suggestions for making game better, making it more marketable in the sense of, I guess, more professional. I shouldn't say marketable. And they've been good suggestions, you know, because remember, this is still our first or will be our first published game. So I'm always up for advice and, and, and getting more feedback, especially when people have been in the industry a while. So overall, Hooded Horse has been a great resource. Obviously, they've allowed us to really expand our team and, and just really make the game that, that, that's been in my head for years. Yeah, that's a great segue to my next question because you've been saying we a lot. And the last time you and I spoke, I think it was just you. So yeah. tell me about how your team's expanded. Well, yeah, it's been it's been I for a long time. Now, I've always, you know, when the game was Imperia and it was the uh, Visual Basic, it was pretty much me, truly me. We kind of picked up a few people here and there along the way that would help, you know, it kind of come and go. But uh, we actually, now that we have funding, we now essentially have a staff of seven, four of which we would call our core staff. Myself, I have another full-time programmer who works with me in Houston. We actually work in an office now. And then our uh, lead uh, art artist slash uh, UI UX developer, he lives in London. That's why I feel for you, Drexy, because I know exactly what your time zone is. And one of our lead writers slash game designers who lives in uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland. So, And then we have a writer that is uh, actually an accomplished science fiction writer and novelist. I've uh, been a great addition. And we have two artists that are, are uh, one's a character artist and one is a uh, background artist, uh, does our interstitials and is going to be doing a lot of a lot of the culture art that I've been posting on Twitter. Uh, he's been doing that. So obviously that frees me up to do more sort of the big picture. And it's also really allowed us to kind of expand the vision of the game. You know, there's only so much that I can do to, you know, by myself, the game is only ever going to be so big and only ever have, you know, enough reach. But, you know, with all those people working and they're all committed to the game, they love the idea, they love the concept. You know, it's hard to keep a, a team together, uh, especially over time and, and over people and over distance. But we basically kept the same core team for, you know, almost nine months and, and everyone's fully committed. So, uh, we're really excited about uh, having the manpower, the brain power, and the um, people needed to see the game through to version 1.0. Oh, that's really good to hear. Uh, I mean, how long have you been developing this game? Because <laughs> I remember, I think, I think I bought it when it was Imperia. Yeah, it, uh, well, it, 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 it's been, I mean, Imperia it was in 2015, I want to say, but it was a hobby. You know, I only did it part-time. Even when we changed to Alliance, when we decided we were going to make it commercial, I think it was still a hobby until we were picked up initially, and that was in 2019. So, yeah, I mean, we've been working on it more or less full-time for about two years. 
but total development time. The game I've been working on in some capacity or some version for about six and a half years. Cool, cool. Right. So that actually reminds me too, because I remember that the last time we spoke, you were still you were still working full time for as a manager and you know trying to work this thing on the side. I so I that, hell that that must have been almost three years ago. Yeah. Now, now I left in August of 2019. So it's been uh, yeah, it's about two and a half years since I've gone full time. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was hard. You know still trying to make the game. You know, we still have a, a kid, a family, you know, a managerial job. You're working more than 40 hours. You're working weird hours, weekends, nights, et cetera. Uh, it was a lot to juggle. So I was, I was very glad for the chance to kind of settle on this full time and, and kind of dedicate a more reasonable schedule and more uh, daytime hours to the endeavor. That's great to hear. So Steve, tell me, like, I mean, I know it's going to be difficult to sum this up in, you know, a few words, but like, how much has the scope and maybe the vision changed since now that you have a team and a publisher? I mean, have you, are you still maintaining like the, the initial and the original idea of what you wanted 1.0 to be? Or do you think that's maybe broadened a bit now that you have some more time and more money and more, more people? I think we've kept our core vision in the sense that we want you to feel like the emperor or empress or what have you in this world of, of, of a 4X game. I mean, that's always been kind of the core conceit and kind of the scale of the game and the background of the game hasn't really changed. You know, it, one thing that dooms a lot of studios and games is feature creep and tried really hard to kind of keep our, you know, keep the vision, keep the scale. If it's something that's not going to fit the design or the, or the vision, you know, we scrap it or we put it on a on a uh, parking lot for, you know, maybe maybe the future. But the biggest thing that's changed, I would say, is we really have focused more on the RPG aspect. You know, I know for a long time we talked about, is it a 5X? Is it a 4X? Is it a 4X grand strategy? Like, what the hell is this game? And we really recently just, you know, we, we, we took a hard look as a team and said, like, what is this game? What are we making? Like, really? And we're making a 4X RPG. We're making something that's probably never been made before. Um, you know, imagine imagine the scope of Distant Worlds 2 as far as what you can do and just the, the de- level of detail and, you know, and, and all that. Maybe not the amount of, of planets, but just the general detail and scope. And then add an entire RPG layer, entire layer with quests and stories and character development and, and a skill tree that's got is going to have over 300 skills. And, um, you know, oratory combat system that has, you know, dozens of skills. Um, and that's basically what we've got. And then add a, a rich lore a, and a backstory and sort of a mystery. And that's kind of what Alliance has become. I mean, I'm, I, I, it took me a moment because I realized that that sounds awesome as hell. <laughs> like, oh. I, I think that like, you know, for, I mean, I think the entire time I've understood that you wanted to keep it like top level, right? You wanted to focus less on the micromanagement and, you know, more on the macro level stuff and, you know, the, the, the kind of decisions that an emperor would make instead of like, you know, maybe a colony manager or something like that, which I've always really appreciated. But to hear that you're kind of like leaning more into this RPG element, I mean, those are my two favorite genres. <laughs> so like, if you can figure out a way to combine 4X and RPG, I, you know, oh, man, you'll, you'll make a happy man. Well, I'll, put it, I'll put it to you this way. We recently had a beta test and one of the, one of the questions on the response form was basically one to five, you know, Alliance is a 4X RPG. What do you think of the concept of what we're doing, essentially? And they, they you know, they played the game. They got a chance to dive into it extensively. And every single response, every single one gave us a five out of five for the concept after having played it. So we think it works. We just have to fully execute it. 
And that's something that I know Hooded Horse is really excited about because if we do it right, and I think we will, I think we're finally, we've got our hands around the design. Um, it's going to be a genre buster and it's going to be something that Paradox is going, you know, people that play these Paradox games are going to take and go, hmm, this, this is a thing, which would not be a bad thing at all. And I'll, I'll give you an example while Drex is waking up, you know, as far as keeping the top level stuff. And we've done that. You know, in fact, we, we've, we've looked for ways to even make it a higher altitude. You know, we've, we've tried to take a lot of the micromanagement out of things like trade. Um, you no longer will have to create trade zones. Um, everything is just basically system to system. You make sure you just build the logistical network throughout your empire and that your planets have things and they'll trade with each other as long as they have the, you know, a, a safe place to trade, which is similar to distant worlds in that, you know, you, you don't necessarily build everything. You just create the conditions for a safe empire and then life kind of goes on. I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of Alliance. There is a living world in Alliance. You know, you have what are called pops and there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pops in the game and 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 they they grow they gain traits they gain experience they move between planets they move between systems they can leave your empire they can riot you know they determine they can assassinate you you know and, and all this happens without you you know you kind of direct things around them but they're really the stars of the show they will determine whether your empire rises or falls and you along with it so um I really like Distant Worlds. I, I know I keep saying Distant Worlds. They're, they're really not the same game per se, but the idea of this living universe is something that always appealed to me with Distant Worlds. And that's something that, while we're not, it's not that micro, like you won't see ships flying everywhere and, and trade and, you know, combat is very different. But the idea of this persistent living world is something that is, is similar to, to Distant Worlds. So when you talk about a genre buster and you talk about a game that's probably, you know, going to be a unique thing in itself and it's, you know, trying to, to break the mold, really. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, how are you going to onboard the player? Like, God, it's it's when you, especially when you start, you know, adding, you know, player elements and game elements that people probably aren't really all that familiar with. I mean, I imagine that the tutorial and, you know, the beginning of the game has to be extraordinarily good so that you can get thing you get the player on board, right? So like what what efforts have you guys been making to to make that happen? Well, we we took a new run. We we had a tutorial in the game. It wasn't terribly effective. It was kind of there it was a two-part tutorial. The first one was basically a handhold just showing you where everything was and some of the main concepts. And then you had kind of a guided tutorial. The problem was that by the time you got to the guide tutorial, you'd forgotten what everything was said in the in the first one because it had like five chapters and it was pretty long. So we kind of scrapped that and we've written a new dynamic campaign. It's actually a tutorial campaign by the um, science fiction writer. His name's David Liss. He's uh, actually won several awards. A very good writer. Anyway, he is writing our tutorial and it is a dynamic story. So you're not just learning like here is where power is. Here is where your AP is. You know, it's you're using these things. The, the, the reason our initial tutorial failed is because we told not show or we show we you have to you have to act, not show. In other words, you can't just point at something, go, this is a thing and then move on. You have to use it and you have to give it context within the game. So you'll be using things slowly. You'll be learning the initial concepts very early on, the main concepts like power and AP and the houses and kind of the situation you're in. And, and then you'll kind of pull back the camera on, on, on the bigger concepts and you'll actually be using things slowly to solve issues and you'll kind of uncover like a bigger story. I don't want to give too much away, but it doesn't, it does kind of go into why you are 18 and why you are taking over the throne and why you cannot produce an heir. So it's not just genetic magic. There is actually a story behind that. And, and so that's going to kind of go into that. But, uh, 
you know, one of the big strengths of, of Alliance, and this is something, I mean, we worked on the Toro for months. I mean, we've literally gone back and forth and, and, and rewritten. I think we've got it to a pretty good polish, but you, there are so many different ways to tackle an issue. And that's something that we really want to make sure that players understand. So, you know, a lot of times when you, you have an RPG, you know, you, you know, oh, we're going to do a fight. Okay. Hit this button. You're going to swing. Okay. And hit this button. Now you're going to block. Okay. Now hit this third button. Now you're going to rest and get some energy back. Well, so the player, you've, you've shown them what to do. You've shown them some of the tools, but you haven't necessarily shown them how the tools fit into the bigger picture. And so that's been a really big challenge because you have a lot of tools. You have a lot of tools. Um, there are so many different ways to do things. And, and depending on the characters that are generated, one that some that may work in one game may not work in another, depending on who you're friends with or, you know, your, your skills and, and your culture and things like that. So we had to kind of really go out of our way to show the player, look, there's many different ways you can go about solving a problem, like improving the economy on a planet. I mean, you can do a project to improve the economy. You can bring merchants onto the planet. You can expand the infrastructure. You can build a trade hub. Um, you can pass, you know, some trade laws through the Celestial Council. You know, there's a lot of different ways to go. You can put a new uh, a viceroy. You can, if, if it's your holding, if not, you can convince the house to fire them and, and put someone in with a better economic skill. You can install a new system governor, which has a trickle-down effect. I mean, there's so many different ways to solve just this one problem that we want to make sure that the, the player understands that they're only limited by their ingenuity because we give them a lot of tools to work with. I mean, this game is, there's nothing really like it, really. So what what would be the hardest thing for like a new players to grasp about the game? Well, I think you, you know, I think you put your finger on it that there's nothing like it. People are going to try to play it like a 4X and they're not going to do very well. And I'll give you an example, the military system. So in most 4Xs, you research ships, you design ships, you put a bigger laser, you put bigger, you know, shields, armor, whatever, special weapon, you group those ships at a system, and you right-click on a planet or a system to target, and they go and they fight either automatically or turn-based, and you rinse and repeat. Uh, and you don't do any of that in Alliance, like not a bit of that. You actually have what are called operations, and you generate operation points throughout your empire. Um, so you might start with, say, 15 operation points. To, to declare war on a house, you actually challenge them. It, there's kind of a backstory where it's kind of like ritualized combat to prevent humanity from destroying itself. So there's a combat accord. So only one house can challenge another house. So you might challenge them for a planet or a system or just um, honor, uh, power. But you don't build ships per se. You build hulls. So you build, say, uh, you have a build plan to say, okay, I want to have 30 destroyer hulls. And I want to have at least 30 hulls at all times. So you don't micromanage that. You set a, a top-level build plan. Or you say, I want to build 10 cruisers and 30 destroyers. Or if you have dreadnoughts or super dreadnoughts or battleships or dreadnoughts, you can build those as well. So the production system will automatically, as long as you have shipyards that can build them and are fed with the right materials, they will automatically try to keep that production plan active, even if you lose ships. Um, so you take those ships and then you build fleets out of them. But you don't micromanage them. You don't stack weapons on them or anything like that. Instead, you, you go through a fleet builder and you say, I want to build a medium combat fleet, space combat fleet. And that's, you assign the admiral, you assign the size, you assign the mission, in this case, space combat, but it could be bombardment, it could be terror, it could be, you know, uh, planetary combat, it could be an invasion fleet, whatever. And then you set the, the quality of it and then you hit go and that then the fleet will automatically be built for you from those holes. 
So the holes will basically be outfitted with the right weapons that they need or the right equipment that they need. You don't have to do any of that. And they'll automatically go to the staging point. The Admiral will automatically be there. And then that fleet can then be added to an operation. And an operation is what actually you want to attack a planet, attack a system. It's as simple as going to the operation map, clicking on the system or planet going, I want to attack that. The Admiral, the, what we call the Grand Admiral, you put in a Grand Admiral in charge, and then they will actually pick the fleets that the mission needs. So you can have a conquer mission, you can have a, you know, a orbital bombardment mission, you can have a terror mission, you can have a, uh, a destroy outpost mission. There, there are several different missions. Now you can override that. You can, you know, put your own fleets in or add fleets, but basically that's what you're doing at the top level. You're just assigning fleets, making sure you have the right fleets for the job, the right admirals who have the right skills. And then you send them on their way. They take a certain amount of turns to prep. Less if you have a good Grand Admiral in charge. Once they're ready, you can send them off. Um, once you hit transit, um, you can't get them back. So whatever happens, happens. They'll get there. You know, whatever happens, happens. Just like in real life. You know, once you send the troops on a mission, you just have to hope and pray that it goes well. So, yeah. So, you know, but none of that is micro. Everything is handled at a top level. Like, if literally all you want to do is set your production plan. And you don't even have to build fleets. They'll build them for you. If all you want to do is just make sure, um, you know, you have enough resources and materials, then you can do that and let your admirals actually pick the fleets to use and just uh, let them do their thing and just authorize it when they're ready. I do want to come back to a point where maybe we're describing the game at a more simple level. Like maybe we can, you know, smooth this out a little bit and introduce the maybe a new listener to what Alliance of the Sacred Sons will be. But before we do that, I want to ask a quick question because you're talking about combat a lot. And I remember from our last conversation, and I know I've been playing it some too, that, you know, a lot of this combat is because you're, as the emperor, you're trying to unite humanity, right? And and that's in response to what you know is coming, right? This, I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't know, you know, uh, if anybody else there knows or if that's something that you're just kind of, you know, keeping close to the chest, but like there's, there's something you have to unite against, right? And so when you're talking about combat, you're talking about like, bringing other factions to heal or something? I mean, like, are you trying to maybe sometimes having to unite unite humanity by being vicious and killing humanity? Yes, you do. You're, you're in fact, well, the campaign, the early access will essentially be a unification campaign. So another big difference in the 4X, which you know this, Rob, but your your listeners may not, is that the, the Empire, the Celestial Empire, it's made up of six great houses. So think kind of Dune or Battletech, that kind of thing. Um, and you are the ruling house. So the house that you create when you start the game is your house. And then you have five other houses that correspond to the other five cultures or six cultures in the game currently. So your goal is to essentially unite the empire um, because once you die, there's going to be a, a hellacious civil war that will basically tear apart the empire. Um, and you know this because you can't produce an heir. So your house, your line will end unless you take some drastic measures to prevent that from happening. So I don't want to spoil, there's some spoilers there, but you can prevent that. But it takes a lot of work and not necessarily warfare, but you can actually either subjugate the houses or um, have them become your vassal. You can actually vassalize a house with, without warfare. If you they grow to like you enough, if you can ply them enough with uh, giving them systems and holdings and money and, and what have you and, and you know bend to their every whim, um, you can vassalize them peacefully, but more often than not, you will probably have to uh, challenge a house for what's called a subjugation challenge, which basically you are going all out war to take over that house. At that point, you would control all their holdings, 
I mean, the house still exists, but they're essentially like vassals to you, but they're hostile vassals. So, but you do have control over all their military and their, um, their holding. When I say holdings, it's like planet systems that they, that they hold and can control the development from. So in this way, eventually you'll want to subjugate or vassalize a majority of the houses in order to minimize the risk to yourself because you can be killed in, in plots as well as from the populace but also to have access to their shipyards and, and ships and technology and resources. All right. So here's an opportunity for us to step back for a second. And I want you, if you could, please to walk us through what is, what, how, how does Alliance of the Sacred Sun start? Like, tell me day one, turn one, what you're looking at, and then what it is that we go through through the, the following turns and what we're trying to like establish. So, so those of you who, who haven't, you know, actually maybe played this or seen video of it or played the, the beta or even heard the last podcast. If you're one of those people, I want Steve to kind of help you understand how this game plays. Sure. Well, you start in the year 3050 and you're an 18 year old emperor or empress who is brand new to the throne. And you've got five other houses of varying hostility, basically waiting for you to die or to fall or to lose power or what have you. Think a little bit like Dune. You're basically Leo Atreides in this situation. So you are going to spend some time figuring out, and, and the thing about it, every game is different. All the characters generated are different. The other than Neo Cyrus, which is your home home system, and New Terra, which is your home planet, every other planet is, is generated randomly and placed randomly. Every character, every house, every ship, everything else is randomized. So you're going to want to spend some time kind of figuring out your situation. You know, what houses are moderately friendly towards me? What houses hate me? If a house that's powerful hates me, then that's probably something I need to keep an eye on. I want to look at my treasury situation. What does my budget look like? What do my holdings look like? Are they in good shape? Am I making a lot of resources? Am I making a lot of money? You know, are, are my, my holdings being taxed? I look at my fleets. Do I have enough fleets? Can I maintain all my fleets with, with what I have? I look at my science. You, have, you can create a science plan. You know, how much money can I allocate to my science plan? What do I need to be researching? Do I need to be focusing more on empire techs or military techs? I look at my, what are called my inquisitors. These are kind of my uh, high tactical squads. They do spying and they do special ops and they are basically intelligence gatherers. What can I be using them for? You know, I look at the house leaders. Who are going to be my enemies? Who are going to be my friends? Who, you know, who is going to create trouble for me down the road? Do I have any problems on my planets? Are there any riots that are about to happen? Do I have any pops that are unhappy because there's a lot of unemployment or because there's another issue? Maybe they hate their viceroy. Maybe I need to get rid of them. I look at my entire empire from sort of a top-level perspective. Is there a constellation that I can expand to? Am I making enough resources for the empire? Can I sort of figure that out through trading from a, through another house? Can I build some outposts, You know, some energy outposts or mining outposts? Can I expand to another constellation and build a new province and maybe give that to a house to run to really improve my relationship with them? I look at myself. This is the, the RPG part of it. What skills do I need? What kind of a person do I want to be? What's my personality? You know, where do I want to go in, in, in the personality tree? You know, do I want to be very combative? Do I want to be very cerebral? Do I want to be sporting? You know, do I want to be someone that's uh, kind of a party animal? You know, do I want to be kind of a spy master? Do I want to be kind of a man of the people or, or kind of a secretive, you know, ivory tower emperor? And I start working down the tree towards that. I mean, I mean, there's just a lot, you know, oratory skills. You know, do I want to 
focus on intimidation, which are more powerful ways to sort of get my point across, but they leave a lot of grudge for the people that I defeat, or do I want to try to focus on reason or charm, which is if you succeed with charm, you actually gain a positive boost, but there tend to be weaker weaker um, moves when you're trying to uh, in, you know, get someone to uh, persuade them to do what you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Celestial Council, who's on the Celestial Council? Can I put someone on the Celestial Council? Uh, would that help my relationships with another house? Basically doing good things for a house, putting them in power, giving their characters more power uh, makes them like you more and doing the opposite makes you less. So if I want to pull, you know, say I'm not making a lot of taxes. So I look at my economic prime, who's kind of like the, you know, the primes are like your cabinet. And you have an economic, a, a economic prime and a war prime and a science prime, and they kind of lead these divisions and they give you bonuses or malices depending on how good they are. So I have a situation where I'm not making much money because my financial prime or my economic prime is, is very poor at, at economics. But if I sack him, their house is going to be very upset with me. So is it worth taking the hit from that house to put in someone better so I make more money in the long run? Those are all things you have to look at for the first few turns. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's so deep. So judging by what you say, combat isn't really the main way of bringing the other houses to heal. It's more managing relationships, I would assume, maybe messaging some egos and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Alliance, there's there's basically three buckets of time. You And you have action points. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. For people that are new to the game, you have a finite number of points that you spend to do things like talk to characters, um, do what are called projects, which are basically like how you build things, major things and past things, building fleets, things like that. But a large part of the game, you basically have to balance your time between self-development, which is the RPG part of it, because you want to constantly be developing yourself or you won't, you really won't be able to keep up. Developing your relationships, which is kind of what Drexie was just talking about, you know, maintaining relationships with your friends because your friends are going to want more. That's the, that's one big thing. If, if you've made good friends with a uh, house leader, they're going to ask a lot more of you. And it's going to be hard to keep that relationship up. Um, they're going to insist that you treat them like a friend, which usually means gimme, gimme, gimme. And then, of course, the, the 4X stuff, the actual 4X game part of it, you know, explore new uh, systems and, and, and constellations, expand, build, build outposts, build colonies, claim systems, exploit, you know, uh, you can uh, set what are called designations. Again, this is to limit the, the micromanagement. You can just set a colony to have a designation of, say, farming or mining, or you can even create penal colonies. You know, so if you want to be a bastard, you can send people that have been rioting instead of killing them outright. You can send them to penal colonies and basically you get free labor for mining. But you set these and then the viceroys or even the system governor, you can set systems for designations as well. And they will try their best to kind of um, shape the system or the planet to, to that designation. Obviously, if you try to designate a lava world as a, as a farm world, it probably won't go so well, but they'll try. Yeah, you really, managing uh, relationships is a huge part of the game. You can't make everybody happy because relationships, second order relationships matter. So in other words, if I, you know, talk to a house leader and I do something nice for them, well, their worst enemy hates them. Well, guess what? Their worst enemy is going to hate me a little bit more because I did something nice for their enemy. So you have to not only think about the first order effects, but the second order effects um, when you're thinking about, especially when you deal with high power characters like house leaders, successors, and primes. Awesome. So how does the uh, exploration part of the game work? Well, uh, you have what are called expeditions. So we talked about operations earlier. 
where you just set, essentially pick a target and you know the fleets will be automatically assigned. You can override. And, and, and we talk about operation points, by the way. Our operations and expeditions cost operation points. So that limits you from stacking you know, three death fleets because a, 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 a high-powered capital fleet might cost 50 operation points to deploy, and you might only have 20 total. So you really have to, at the, at the beginning, you're, you're going to have a limited capacity. But yeah, um, you create an expedition. So essentially, you pick, um, you'll go to like an exploration mode of the galaxy map, and you can pick a system to explore. And you'll create an expedition. Basically, you'll, it'll assign one or two scout fleets. You confirm it, you set the ETA, and you approve it or decline it, and then off they go. Um, and then uh, uh, systems and planets both have stellar intel levels. So the more you know, uh, the higher that intel, the more you know about the system, you know, what's in it, how many planets are in it, um, if there's anything of value in the system. And then, you know, the planets have uh, actual uh, traits, and some of the traits uh, can actually uh, trigger events. Uh, if you end up colonizing them or provide spe special bonuses or malices if you put a colony or outpost on them. Uh, and there's also exploration events. I don't want to spoil too much, but um, the other kind of the RPG part of it is that occasionally you'll trigger a full-on event where you actually have a story. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. You'll get a story, um, and then you'll get up to four choices um, to kind of further resolve that story. Um, and then sometimes they end there, you make a choice, and then it's done. And then sometimes they lead to others uh, chained events down the road, maybe not that immediate turn, but maybe a, a year or two or five years down the road. Um, so we have some long chain events that kind of kind of Stellaris like uh, in that you kind of pick things and they kind of um, form this sort of ongoing story. But exploration events, we have several of those where if you send out an exploration, you may run into some things and some cool things might happen. Maybe you'll come back, maybe you won't. Cool. So that's kind of very much like an RPG where I don't know, you might decide to help someone and then that has an ongoing effect or you might choose not to and that will just end that event right there and maybe you'll miss out on getting something from that person. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. Exactly. And your skills come into play too. And if you're dealing with people, like if it's a, you know, and we have a, a, an event where an asteroid is incoming on a planet. So your science prime, if they're really good and they have really good skills, you have a much better chance of the science choice being a positive one. But if your science prime sucks, then you have a very poor chance of that succeeding. So, you know, you might have a combat choice, you might have sort of a general choice, and you might have like a special choice, which is, you know, it could be intel, it could be kind of a, it could be something unlocked by an epiphany, a skill that you have, you know, you may not have it available uh, if you say aren't a, of a certain uh, personality type or don't have a certain skill. So yes, definitely, definitely, um, we're leaning hard for the RPG part of it. Steve, so talk to me, talk to me about the the events because I, I know the few events that I've seen in the game kind of lead you into like the character that you become, right? Like each of the the, the choices that you make kind of like shape your you know your abilities and capabilities. So can you tell me more about how those will end up kind of playing out and how many there are, maybe? Yeah, yeah, um, and we've had it a lot. Uh, in fact, the the uh, early access version will have about a hundred events. The full version we've already written about two hundred and thirty. So they just have to be converted into a Lewis script. So that just takes time. But yeah, they've already been written and sort of paced out. So you have a core. You have honor, humanity, and piety. Those are kind of the three tenets of your personality, <laughs> and those can be changed through primarily things you do in the game, but also through events. So let's say, I mean, just hypothetically, let's say there's a little girl that you could save, you know, you, you know, she's dangling off a cliff 
and you could save her. But, oh, no, you're late for a party, and this party is really important because there's a house leader that you want to impress. So you save the little girl and, and be late, or do you let her die? And if you save her, then you are late, and the house leader, you take a hit with the house leader, but you, know, you gain humanity among your people because they've heard about this. And so your, your, your public persona is improved in, in humanity. And if you let her die, then your humanity is dropped um, because they know you let her die. But your house... You, you have a better relationship with the house leader because, hey, you, you proved you, they, uh, they were more important than human life. So that's kind of a microcosm of how events can sort of interact with the personality system. Um, and then that interacts with your skills. So let's say you have high humanity, like what's called a pers- uh, public humanity. You know, you're seen as being an honorable humanistic leader. Um, you gain actual effects based on that. Um you know, based on what the public thinks of your personality. So if it's very high or very low, you still get effects. Um, and they are, there's usually one good and, and one not so good. Um, there, you know, it's, it, you can be a scum of the earth and you'll still have positive effects. When I say positive, meaning something that will help you in the game. Um, it's just really down to what kind of a person you want to be and how you want to gameplay. Um, and events are the bi- biggest way of shaping that. So if I could try to throw out an example, like, so say someone's a very dishonorable person or whatnot, or actually let's go to the humanity thing, right? Like maybe they just have like, like zero, you know, Fs given for humanity. And so as a result, like maybe his, his oratory skill for, you know, like, I guess aggressive or like, like, yeah, his aggressive oratory skill or something like that, or intimidation, as you're saying, like he can intimidate the crap out of somebody at that point, because I mean, everybody knows that he doesn't care about you. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's kind of like the fact that the less humanity he has, the more it boosts his ability to intimidate. Something like that? Yeah, yeah. And, and everything kind of ties together. So everything's kind of tightly wrapped. So yeah, you're what we call it browbeat. Um, we may actually change intimidation. I don't think <laughs> a lot of people know what browbeat means. But um, yeah, so your, your, your skills actually improve um, as your sort of your personality triangle changes. So you get this reputation as being um, a very low humanity. Um, doesn't necessarily make you evil. It just makes you care not a whit about fellow man. But of course, it, it will raise your fear and it will lower your popular support. But you know, you can. It's okay as long as you have a high fear because you're still getting you, you're getting the respect of the people, if not their love. But one way or another, you're you're keeping the peace. So um, you can win. The game is designed to where you can play multiple styles and still come out a, a winner. I will say it's probably easier to be a bad guy than a good guy. Just because it, you you tend to because you know and that's kind of the way it is in 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 public and the kind of unfortunately leadership and the concepts of power um, really lean towards people that are sort of amoral um, and so that tends to be where you get the bigger benefits um, but if you rule justly and honorably we've we've gone kind of out of our way to make sure that that's recognized in the game and that you know your popular support is a lot easier and you can win the game by getting high enough popular support um, so. You know, we we really tried to make it to where you can win at using any type of personality that you want. It's funny you say that too, because you know, any game that allows me to go like light side, dark side, in the middle, whatever, I always have. It's so dumb. It's just a game, but it's it's really difficult for me to to become a dickhead. Like I just have a really hard time being that bad guy to, to you know, the the one that would be the intimidator, the one with the low humanity. You know, like if if you if you remember like the Mass Effect series, like you know, mm-hmm. you went you know 
I, I forgot it was Paragon and whatever the other one was. And I always had a hard time going the mean route. Like I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I wonder if it'll be something I can maybe just muster up the courage here to do. And, and maybe it, it just feels like it'd be a lot of fun, like fun role playing that. But I just, I, you know, I can't be that guy. Well, and that's oh, I can. I've played Eve online. You can always, and you can always claw your way back. You know, if you decide you want to become a better person or a more honorable person, um, you know, you're not always stuck on a particular personality type. Um, you can always uh, make better choices or different choices. There's some epiphanies that, some whole branches that kind of help lead you towards different parts of your personality. Um, so, you know, you're never truly locked into a personality even later in the game. Yeah, I mean, from everything you're saying, I'm really just, I'm, 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 every time we talk, I get more excited about this. And so I'm curious to know, like, where where are we now with development? Are you looking at early access at some point in 2022? Or are you just headlining towards the full release? I mean, what's, what's your plan? Well, we are going to do an early access release. We're currently scheduled for the first quarter of this year. I can tell you that it's it's coming soon. I, I we're 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 kind of hitting the home stretch. Um, it's kind of like when you have open heart surgery and it looks really really messy for a while, and then finally most of it's done, and then you're just kind of stuffing it all back in and sewing <laughs> it up. But we're kind of almost done stuffing everything in. So the game systems oratory was actually the last major system to be put in, and so now it's we're kind of cleaning up. I, I showed you the picture of the new uh, galaxy map. Uh, we're literally in the process of installing that now. We already have the new main UI. Um, we're adding the art, the rest of the characters, sound effects. We have a, a new score that we're putting in that's um, um, uh, driven by uh, cultures instead of game state. I think people really like it. And all that's really happening over the next like two months. Um, so when you have good people and you, you know, everyone's been there long enough to kind of know their role and, and, and kind of know, you know, we're, we're kind of past the growing pains of learning the game and learning each other and learning our systems and, you know, unity and scripting and all the stuff you have to kind of fight through. Like we're past all that. So we're, we're really moving at a high rate of speed, knock on wood, <laughs> you know, someone doesn't drop out, but, uh, or, you know, get sick or something happened. But yeah, right now our, 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 I'll put it to you this way. What, what we do in a month now used to take us six months to do. Right. I mean, you have seven people now, so I should imagine that's probably, I mean, you're talking about man hours. It's literally, you know, that, that sounds about right. But yeah, and I mean, they're not all full, like the artists are part time. But yeah, our, our core, our core four are more or less full time or nearly full time. That's great. So, I mean, like, how do you see early access going for you? Is it is it a mopping up period for you or is it like uh, here? This is the game. Now, let's put it out into the people, to people's hands and, and see what's really working and what's not. I mean, is it going to be an opportunity for you to maybe even pull apart, pull apart some of it to see, you know, maybe if some of it's not working for the, the general player or are you mainly looking for like polish items and stuff like that? Well, we, you know, you I've told you my stance on early access. You know, you and I have talked about it off camera before. And, and, you know, I early access is a good concept as long as it's done the right way. I think, you know, if it's done fairly with the sense of, okay, we're giving you an actual game, we're giving you, we have a plan, um, we're going to expand it. Um, you know, we're not going to just abandon it or, you know, <laughs> oh, we didn't sell enough copies. So we're going to call it 1.0 and call it a day. Like, we're not going to do that. We, Hooded Horse has been very good about supporting us and, and kind of uh, giving us the runway we need. So the early access game will be functionally complete. Uh, it will have it won't have all the content of 1.0 in the sense it won't have the all the events. It won't have all the art, you know. But it will have 
basically everything the full game will have except for a few campaign types. Uh, one of which you kind of mentioned, alluded to, that I don't want to spoil. Um, and then um, outside empires, uh, where you can actually reach outside of your empire and find like kind of these fallen um, empires of humanity that were kind of left behind after the Second Civil War, and hopefully recruit them to your cause or be, you know make new enemies. And they'll just be something else that you have to deal with. So, but yeah, the the early access game is is designed to be fully playable from from jump. Um, now. A game like this needs a lot of balance, so we will definitely listen to players. Uh, one thing we've had a lot of feedback on already is the idea that when you die, that's it. You know, people, oh, we want to have a dynasty. Why, you know, why can't you just live forever? You know, why? But we're not. But that's a very specific design choice. We're not Crusader Kings. You know, you're not playing a dynasty. You're playing as one person, a very detailed study of their reign. And, and, and really, you can even think of it like a roguelike. If you, if you want to kind of think about it in that vein, you basically keep going until you die um, and see how far you can go. We're actually going to have a online uh, leaderboard. You can opt in uh, for the early release to where you, you have a rating score, kind of like the civilization score, you know, back in the day. I guess they still have them. And you can actually see how you do uh, against anyone in the world that wants to opt in, you know, so, so there's a little bit of uh, competition in that sense. But uh, for the most part, we're looking for balanced feedback. Um, there's a lot of, you know, unique systems in the game that, you know, we'd like to test at a high level. Um, but as far as, you know, is the game half done or three quarters done? No, I mean, it's a, it'll be a fully playable product that we're looking to improve and buff and uh, get some positive feedback on so we can make 1.0 just truly special. So when have you got a time frame to when early access will be available? I do. Um, it's kind of a... You know, we want to release it when it's ready, when we feel like it's it's of a sufficient quality, kind of tying to my earlier point. Um, you know, Hooded Horse being a new publisher, you know, it's very important that the games they put out early on in their cycle be high quality. So, you know, we we want to release pretty soon. We want to release in the next few months. And we looked, we hope to stay pretty close to that. Essentially, at the end of the day, it's going to be, it's ready when it's ready. And when we feel like it's going to um, make a significant impact uh, on the uh, gaming community, you know, because it is the thing that the thing about Alliance that's really important. It's not like we're just putting out, you know, Master Orion 4. It's not a known quantity. It's not something that people can just, you know, we've had a lot of press coverage and, and we're very grateful for that. It's very, it's, it's actually humbling how much press the, the game has gotten, um, considering, you know, we've never made a game before, but, uh, I think people are intrigued by the concept, but that kind of works against us because we don't get another shot. If the game comes out and it's a steaming pile of doggy do, we're not going to be able to make that up because we don't have a track record to work off of. And so, um, you know, it's kind of like Eminem, you get one shot, <laughs> you know, to, 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 not to, to make it. Yeah. You're going back to the trailers. So uh, I don't want to go back to the trailer. Uh, we got to make it right. <laughs> we'll make it right. And we'll release it when it's when it's um, dynamite and 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 ready to show. Yeah, I mean that's the biggest problem with uh, releasing early access on Steam. If you get bad reviews early on, it's really hard to turn it around. I guess. Yep. Yeah, that has been remarked. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and, and I will say that our, our our beta testers and and our community is very positive about the game. Um, people that have actually put their hands on it are generally very jazzed about it, um, which is promising. You know, you guys have played it. Uh, you know, it's kind of, and in, in, in Rob, you've played it. Uh, Drexy, both of you have played it back when it was missing a lot of what it has now. 
you know, but like I said, you know, we're kind of that last, uh, that, that last run, uh, but we want to make sure that people understand what we're doing. And that's why the tutorial is so important and that people, you know, oh, I can't move my shift. Where are my ships? Where are my fleets? You know what? I, what this is stupid. Like, what, what are these houses? You know, how come I can't, where's my build queue? How come I can't build anything? What are these projects? Like, why do I have to assign someone to them? Like, you know, we, we're, you're always going to get those people that don't really know what they're getting into. There's just there's only so much you can do. But a big part of what we want to make sure is ready is the tutorial, tool tips, and in-game help. And um, all that is going to be pretty substantial. And that's going to be a major barometer to when we feel like the game is ready. Is, is when basically a player who has no access or limited access to the genre um, can understand the game and can play the game with uh, minimal outside assistance. Well, like I said, Steve, that's all really exciting. I mean, it's been really kind of fun in a way to watch your development process like the like you said i mean it's been 2015 so we're going on seven years plus like you know it's just been a lot of fun to see that and to see what what was originally kind of like a passion project and something that you were doing in your spare time start to take form and like become a game that i can really see the the vision and i i share that vision i want to see that vision you know fulfilled and and come to fruition because it sounds like a game i'd really freaking enjoy so <laughs> i mean I, I, I for me i know that we're all watching you i know that it's been really great to see you know more mainstream press like you mentioned like you know like rock rock paper shotgun picked you up a few times i know and there's been a, a few others that have you know kind of talked to you about talked about you being the crusader kings in space which i think was a, you know not the best description but still it was you know it, it gets it you know, it's a headline that, that grabs eyes. So, but I, it's been really good to see you get that kind of press conference or press coverage and, and really just kind of really good to see you to get to this finish line. I mean, I know it's, I know it's closer than it's ever been for you and that's awesome. And I'm really, I'm really happy for you. Well, thank you. And, and you guys have been a big part of that. I mean, you found us when back years ago when no one had heard of us and, uh, and now we're, we got a four page spread in PC Gamer. And that was exciting. And we actually got a pretty positive preview, which is, I mean, that's kind of like the, the, the apex of, you know, just exciting stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're really excited about what we're doing and uh, it's been a journey, no doubt. And, and, you know, I think it is something that people, if they give it a chance and just really think about what we're doing, I think they're really going to lean into. Uh, I, I'm actually astounded. No one's ever made a game like this before. Like I, I've never understood why in all the four X's ever made, why virtually none of them focus on who you're actually supposed to be, like this actual gray eminence that you always seem to end up being. You know, I know there's a few games, you know, Star Dynasty, Stellar Monarch, things like that, obviously Crusader Kings, um, that sort of touch around it. But, you know, we're going all in. We're going all in on 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 that life and that experience. Um, and we're slapping a 4X under it, a fully featured 4X. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And I, I just hope people give it a chance and and lean into what we're doing. Well, Steve, thank you very much for being with us tonight. It's been a really great opportunity to speak to you again. And it's 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 so cool to, like I said, to have seen this this game evolve. And and it, you know, honestly, you just seem more sure of yourself. Like that's and that I think that's probably my like maybe my, my favorite point right now is like you just have this confidence that I I, don't, I mean like before it was like you know you're like yeah I'm excited about this and there was some tepid confidence, but now I feel like you're you're really in all all in this, and I, I really that makes me the most excited. So thanks again for being here, Steve. I really appreciate. Well, thanks for having us. You know, we've been we've been real quiet for a while. I don't want people to think we just disappeared, but we've really been hard at work. So I appreciate the chance to kind of get a chance to surface and tell people what we've been doing. Uh, you and Drexel both have, have uh, 
uh, you know, been around for a while and, and supported us. And, and I, I and we are very appreciative of that. It's our pleasure. We're always looking for the next big thing. <laughs> Sometimes we actually we actually find it before anybody else does. Well, well, we'll see. We'll know in a few months. Just want to say, yeah, it's also, I'm so glad Hooded Horse uh, picked you up because, uh, yeah, they seem to be picking up all the games we're really into as well. So, yeah, I'm so glad you're with them and they seem like a really good publisher. So, yeah, I think it's a perfect match, really. Well, it, it, they've been great. And I mean, you know, Rob, you talked about the confidence factor. You know, I, I feel like, you know, we talked about this concept of imposter syndrome and kind of like, you know, I could... I could I could go on Discord and quickly talk to Soren Johnson, you know, who's an old world, who's one of Hooded Horse's other games. And the guy's like, you know, one of the best game developers in the world. And I'm like, okay, and I'm being published alongside games like this. And and it is, it is a little bit daunting, but we have a damn good concept and we have a damn good team and we're gonna make a damn good game. And I know, and I know that's gonna happen. That's why I'm confident. I love it. Yeah, that's the best way. That's 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 the last thing I want to hear out of you. <laughs> that's the perfect thing way it's a perfect way to end this <laughs> uh, well thanks again steve uh this was rob drexy and steve for explominates until next time keep exploring